going to be reading from a couple of places. One is in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, and the other one is in Hebrews. Paul refers to maturation, spiritual maturity, numerous times. And um, when, one of the things he said about uh, maturity, he says, listen, when you're, when you're getting leadership, when, and he, and he kind of was telling Timothy, you know, look for, look for leaders in the church. They were establishing churches, and Paul wasn't a resident pastor. He was, he was a church planner, and he moved from place to place. And when he moved, he would, uh, they would have to raise up leaders. You know, how about that for a quick indoctrination of the Christian faith? You know, the people get saved and say, by the way, uh, you're going to pastor when we leave here. So remember this and, and do this. And, and give him instructions. He stayed there to train some leaders, but he moved on. But he was always saying, you know, be careful how you choose your leaders. Choose people who are, who are not just beginning in the faith, but who have, have a foundation. A novice, is how he put it, or, or someone too young because it, it could overwhelm them. And he gives these cautions about leadership, and he says, you know, maturation should be part of that process that you that you have people who are progressing in spiritual maturity. And that's why uh, you won't see um, very often, I don't know if it's ever happened, an 18-year-old true freshman on a football team elected as the permanent captain because they're not ready for that role of leadership, are they? But follow this with me just for a moment. It's because other people who at one time an 18-year-old true freshman have been there two and three years, and they've kind of like, what, grown into that place, right? They, they, they've had to mature. That's, that's what they're looking for is a maturation. But listen to this. Where they came from, they were probably a leader in high school. So it's not because they don't have leadership skills. They had skills for the level at which they were at. And when you go up to another level, you have to perfect those skills and get more solid in being able to lead and influence people. And if you, want, and if you just want to come to a simple definition of, of what a leader is, is someone who can influence others to follow, to be able to help them come along with you. And we're going to touch on this a little bit. Um, and the, because when you step up in terms of expectations and responsibilities, um, you know, it's really a frightening thing to hand car keys to a 16-year-old. Really, really is. I, I'm not sure if they ought, they ought to up, up that age because it, it, that's a dangerous thing to be in charge of, of a car, a vehicle. We, we gave, you know, our son, he didn't care. When he turned 16, he wasn't, he was like, let's go down to, I want to take my driver's test. You know, you, you want to go, no, I don't care, you know. And finally, they harassed him at school so much. His buddies, he said, okay, I guess I need to go take my driver's test. And he took it, passed us, you want to drive home? No. And the day our daughter turned 16, she was like down there. And she just scared the lady that gave her a test half to death, and she failed it. She did. She was crying. Everybody's, you know, I was like, well, obviously, you're not ready to drive if you <laughs> turn the wrong way on the four lane out there. That's what she did. The lady was shaking when she got out of the car. She, she, did, she, she didn't need, she just shook her head like this. And I said, oh, okay. What, 
And it's like, you know, Kelly, I, I think maybe you ought to just like calm down about this driver's license stuff. But, but really, when you do that with a young person, you want them to be mature enough to do that. That's a dangerous thing to do. And so you look for responsibility, you look for a, a more stable person as you give them more responsibility, right? Um, but I just believe that God wants, to, wants all of us to grow and expand our role of influence. And I don't think those are two different statements about maturity. I think they're the same. I think growing is an expanse of your influence. Some, some parents are really good. They got a little place on the wall where the, the little guy, little girl is you know, at their birthday. They mark how tall they are, and they just go on up. And I tell you what, if they marked at the same place a couple of years in a row and, th- and, and a third year, they would have them at a specialist because there's not an expansion. There's not a change. There's not a measurable change when there should be a measurable change. And that's true of us spiritually. God wants all of us to grow in a measurable way to where we're expanding in how we're being influenced by Him and our influence in others, which is really the neat thing about spiritual growth. So uh, even when Bob Key was uh, in his last days, and that disease had taken away his mobility, his stamina. Um, it was beginning to take his speech away. He was still influencing people. Because while he couldn't do some things, he could pray. And every time I finished praying for him, he started praying for me. And you know, I got, I think, uh, am I coming here just to pray for him so I can hear him pray for me? Because it was, it was a, such a humbling thing for me to walk out of there with him as sick as he was. And he, it might have been a whisper his last days, but he was going to pray for me. He was, he was not leaving this world without influencing someone. And I think I, he had a lot more influence on me than I did on him. So no matter what your age is, I think sometimes we, you know, people get to kind of like retirement time and they retire from God. Or not retire from God, but they retire from doing anything for the kingdom of God. Well, I've had my time in the nursery. I've, I've, I've done my time. I've served my time. What, what's that service? It's like prison, you know. Was that what ministry was? It was like a prison. I've served my time. I, you know, I can tell you, anyone that says that is not growing. Because you can't, when it's in you to influence other people and to help people, you can't just get stationary and say, I'm okay with this. God doesn't want us stationary. He wants us growing no matter how old or how young we are. Um, Let me just reference Ephesians 4 before I get to 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, Paul gives these five-fold offices in the church, right? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And, and what are those offices for? What, what are those office gifts for? For the edification, which, which means what? The edification. The lifting, the, the strengthening, 
the maturation of the body so that they grow up into this more highly functioning representation of Jesus for the perfecting of the saints, for the, for, for the movement of the church. So it, if we're doing our job in ministry gifts, then we're, we're presenting that that causes people to grow and, and to help them function more in the kingdom of God. Now, Corinth has to be one of Paul's favorite churches. I don't know if he would say that, but, but he had a lot invested in these people. And he's, let me just reference chapter 2. Chapter 2 is, is that chapter says, I have not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered the heart of man. What? Has prepared for those who love him. But does it stop there? But the Holy Spirit shows us those things. The Holy Spirit reveals those things. So we kind of stop there and say, well, I guess we can't know things of God that hasn't entered into the mind of man. We can't see, we can't hear. But he says it's the Holy Spirit. And in verse 12, he tells them that, that the Holy Spirit has been given to them so that they can know and understand. And I'm referencing this because the words in chapter 3 just seems like it's totally detached from how chapter 2 ends. Because he says, and all of this has happened so that you can understand the things that God has given you. And then look how he starts chapter 3 off. Brothers, I cannot address you as spiritual, but as worldly. These are the same people. He just said this in chapter 2. Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for that solid food. Indeed, you're still not ready. And that's the NIV. New Living Translation is a little bit more fluid. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. In other words, he says, I would like to have a conversation with you about greater things in the spiritual realm, but I can't because I have to talk to you as infants. Almost as though you were part of the world, as it, as it goes on to say, I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk not with solid food because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready. I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. And here's the thing. He places spiritual and fleshly, carnal, worldly as the two positions of whether someone's growing or not and whether they are ready for solid food or not ready for solid food. Because milk is for infants. And at some point, you have to start expecting that they'll start eating something solid. It might be, you know, the baby food, and, and then it gets to maybe something off the table. There's this progression as they're growing. They can handle and digest more complex food. But initially, they have to have the milk because that's what they need at that point. And he says, you know what? I would like to give you solid food 
but I'm having to keep you on milk for the time being because you're at a place where you cannot digest something more complex than what I'm telling you. I would like to tell you greater things, but you're not ready for it. Um, look at verse 3. Look at this next verse. For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? See, the, the question I want to I ask you now, is there a way to gauge yourself in spiritual growth? Just like you would mark those heights markers at, at your children's birthdays. Is, is there a way you can gauge your own spiritual growth? And if so, how would you measure your spiritual growth? Can you tell if you're spiritually growing? And I believe you can. He says, well, well help me. <laughs> All right. I believe Paul gives us some insight here. So listen up. Let, let, he, what I think he's doing, he's flipping, he's flipping this over. And he's wanting us to look at the other side of what is not spiritual growth. He says, the reason you're not ready for this is here's where you're at. You're argumentative. You're, you're, you're more, you're acting more like the world. You're territorial. I mean, he, he, gets, he gets down to this point that they are looking for icons in their life. They're, they're looking for teachers that they can latch on to. They're, they're, they're not stable. They're shifty. There's, there's no stability. And so here, here's, if you flip this over now and say, how can I mark spiritual growth? Chart how stable you are when the pressure's on. And whether you are argumentative about things that you disagree with people on. In that case, most people on Fox News are children. <laughs> They're spoiled little children because they can't even have a dialogue without arguing. And, and I don't know if the rest of it is. I just, I just, it just wearies me. I can't watch very much of it because they get to arguing. I said, how can you have a dialogue when you won't let anybody talk? And then you yell, and, and you just kind of get out of control. And You know, we, we, we tell our grandchildren when they're at our house, this is a no-yelling zone. Because there's no yelling here. And this is a no-name-calling zone. No, no name-calling. We don't call you names. You don't call each other names. We don't yell at you. You don't yell at each other. When I'm yelling, there's no name calling. And, and it's amazing how that works when they know the rules. And I think when, when grown people start diving into this argumentation and losing their cool and, and losing their temper and starting name calling and all this, that shows immaturity. And he's telling them, he says, Joe, you are like this. He's pointing this out. It's not because, listen, spiritual maturity is not necessarily because there's a lack of knowledge. What did he just say in chapter 2? 
He said, the Holy Spirit has given you understanding about the things that God has given to us as his believers. Here's where the immaturity was. It wasn't because there was a lack of knowledge. There was an inability to take the knowledge they had and process it and put it into practice in their everyday life. It's not complicated. And he says, you do not, right now, you do not show the ability or the interest to take the knowledge that you have, that the Holy Spirit has revealed to you certain things, but you have not taken that and incorporated and integrated it into how you live. And so, therefore, I have to keep you on the basics. I have to keep you on the elementary things of the faith. I have to keep you on milk. So I, I really think it's not necessarily like what are the markers in my life that let me know how I'm doing, how I'm growing spiritually. And sometimes those markers are stuff that shows up in us that shouldn't show up in us, right? I'm going to take you to another place. This is Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. And most most Biblical scholars believe that Paul wrote Hebrews. Even though he did not take the time at the start of Hebrews to say, like he did at other things he he had written, other letters, that this is from the Apostle Paul to the people who are of the faith who have a Jewish background. Basically, that's what this book is for. People Jewish with a Jewish background to to help clarify the things of God that's come through Jesus and a lot of references to the Old Testament in Hebrews. That's why it's called that. But but Paul, it seems like Paul did write this when you look at chapter 5. Because chapter 5 is one of these really, you know, how about Melchizedek? Anybody want to explain Melchizedek? You know, there's all kind of people like, who was this guy who was a king and a priest and Abraham visited him and brought offerings and he turned around and blessed Abraham. And Paul is giving this as, a, as an illustration that while Jesus is not a priest after the tribe of Levi because he came to the tribe of Judah, which was the, the tribe of kings. And he says, so how can Jesus be a priest when he came through the tribe of Judah and not Levi? He said, even when Levi was in Abraham's DNA, Abraham was showing that Melchizedek was a greater priest than Levi could ever be. So he's talking about Melchizedek. Well, after he gets to talking about Melchizedek, look at verse 11. He says... We have much to say about this. And if you want to circle this and go up and circle Melchizedek, that's, he, he says, we have a, a lot more. In other words, if it wasn't for their shallowness, we would know a lot more about Melchizedek. <laughs> These people kept us from getting in on deeper stuff. But that's what he said. He's, like, he talked, he's talking about this, and then he gets this. We have much more... Come on, give it to us. What, what was this guy? Who, what was the connection there? What made him so special? But he said, it is hard to explain because you are slow of hearing. 
uh, or slow to learn, are dull of hearing, is maybe what your Bible reads. Dull of hearing. Slow to learn. But this and you get the language is kind of like referencing 1 Corinthians 3 here in just a moment. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, we're going to come back to that. That's a great statement. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Does that sound familiar? He was saying the same thing to the people in Corinth. He said, I would like to give you solid food, but I can't. I'm going to keep you on milk for the time being until you process what we've given you and grow and receive it and put it into practice in your life. But boy, this really clarifies some things here in just a moment where he's talking to them about this. And he says, now listen, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not... And he's about to tell you what solid food is, all right? Watch this. Let me start at verse 13 again. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, uh, uh, a child, an infant spiritually, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. So solid food must be somehow connected to what righteousness is all about, right? Because he says anyone who's living on milk doesn't get that. They, they, can't, they can't grab onto that. And then in verse 14, but solid food is for the mature. Well, how, do you, how do you get from milk to mature? Looks like you kind of like need solid food to get mature, right? But he said solid food is for the mature, who by constant use, boy, there's so many markers here. I want you to see this about how can you gauge your spiritual growth? How how are you doing? Are are there markers you can? Yes, they are. Who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And go back to uh, verse 11. I'm much to say to this, but it's hard to explain. It's difficult. Interesting word there. It's the only time in all the New Testament that word is used. And it comes from two words, das and hermeneuo. Does hermeneuo sound familiar? What does it sound like? Hermeneutics. You look up, if you look up in Google hermeneutics, It'll come up, the etymology of hermeneutics, it'll come up and tell you this. It's Greek, hermeneutics. (laughs) How about that, huh? The background, the word is, that's where the word came from. It came, and it's used only, this particular form of it is used only one time, and and the word hermeneuo means to explain or to interpret. And so we have this study in Bible colleges and seminaries called hermeneutics. And it's the study of how to interpret Scripture, how to explain what's there. And he said, we would like to talk to you about things, but it's hard for us to explain it to you. 
to where you can understand it. The whole idea of getting a grip on the Word of God to where you can have it explained to you and you receive it and grasp it and go with it is an amazing thing. And when I, when I went to Southeastern Bible College, I transferred after freshman year at Jacksonville State, and I majored in business administration and minored in economics, and I loved every minute of it. That's what I wanted to do. It's not what God wanted. So when I hit Bible college and went, you know, was plunged into study of Scripture and in the, in the, in the class on Romans, Dr. R. Paul Wood introduced a book called The Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee. And I, I thought I, I knew a little bit about Romans and I read that book and I said, where have I been? It's like I hadn't even been in church. And then I kind of read some other things from Watchman Nee, like spiritual authority, sit, walk, stand on Ephesians. And the explanation of Romans, I said, wow, this, you know, and, and, I, and I left that class. And, and if, if I could tell people, what, what is the one professor that left a mark on you? It was that class. It was Dr. Wood, and it was that book that created this stir in me. I got to know more about that. I gotta know more about that. I've got to inquire. I gotta dig. I had this insatiable appetite for the study of God's word, and it's so rich, and you can skim through it. But I'm telling you, there's so much in it for us if we will just let it soak into our souls. And this is what he's talking about to the Hebrew people, to the believers. He says, we would like to explain this to you, but it's hard. And, and besides, it's, it, slow to learn is not a really good idea. It, make, it makes you think like they, they have some kind of learning disability. It wasn't that. It was, they just was sluggish about it. There's people who know what 500 channels on their cable schedule is all week better than they know the books of the Bible. That's sluggish of learning. That, that's, that's not having a passion for God's Word. If you, if you know that better than you know God's Word, then, then, then you've got the wrong interest in mind. You know, that, what is that going to do for you? I, I know when that program comes on. Okay, that's great. Don't you want to know what God's Word says and how it applies to your life? And then he goes on and says, you ought to be teachers. Here's how you, here's to me is the ultimate maturation is when you can receive something and turn around and explain it to somebody else. That's what's so neat about being in Royal Rangers. When I was a young man, you know, just first place in ministry, Chiefland, Florida, Levy County. People don't even know where that place is unless they take the back route to Tampa. But here in a little home missions church, 
and I go and pick up these boys for Royal Rangers on Monday night, and they're bringing their red men chewing tobacco in their back pocket. These are little country urchins. <laughs> I mean, hey, buddy, you can't bring your red man to Royal Rangers. I can't. I says, no, what is it? It's a clean in body, mind, and speech, and that's not clean. So it's out of Royal Rangers. So, you know, the neat thing was... Uh, this one kid had never been to a McDonald's because there was not one there, and we got a chance to take him to Gainesville. But when I talked to them about Jesus standing at the door of their heart and knocking, have you ever, have you ever felt Jesus knocking at the door of your heart? Yeah. Don't you want to open the door and let him in? Yeah, and I says, and you know what? The doorknob is not on the outside where he's knocking. It's on the inside. Where you open the door, and if you say yes, that's all you need. You know, we were trained at in, in leadership training course. All those verses about how to lead a boy to Jesus, and then you can turn around and give that to them, and you watch God work in a simple environment with an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old kid. It it stirs you up, and see. Here's where you know you can be learning is when you can tell someone what you've learned. When you can explain, let me, let me show you this passage of Scripture. Because really and truly, if you find something in God's Word and it like, it, it blesses you beyond words. You want to tell someone. It's going, you're going to Facebook. You're going to Facebook. You're posting the Scripture. You just wish you could post how you feel about it. You got to read this. But when you can kind of dialogue and explain to people, well, this is what this means. And this is why he says, listen, he wasn't putting these people down. He says, really, you're at a point in life where you ought to be the one up here teaching. You know, I was thinking about this, putting this together for tonight how odd it is for me to be doing this. To, to be standing up and teaching in front of people. You know, when I think about it, it scares the daylights out of me. I kind of have flashbacks to when I was a, in high school and had to give a speech or something. And I just about take an F instead of giving it. Just, just, my heart can't take it. Just failed me. But as you grow and God expands how you see things, you change. And you, and you come with this confidence. I remember talking to Joaquin Garrison, an evangelist with the Pentecostal Holiness Church that came to our little assembly God in Childersburg. And he was like in his mid-20s. And man, what an evangelist. And here I was early in Bible college and I, I was at that revival and I, I walked up to him and I said, man, you're awfully young. Yeah. I said, you sound confident. <laughs> like, I don't want to preach. I'm not sure I can preach yet. I'm, I'm studying to preach, but I don't really want to preach right now. I'm scared to death of getting up. And I wondered how, 
And then all of a sudden, as God begins to change how you see things and how you process things, it's no longer you. It's an odd thing that happens. You don't, you're not the same person. All of us in this room ought to, ought to be praying, Lord, I don't want to remain the same. That would be a tragedy spiritually if I remain the same. That means you stretch, you reach, you explore, you just don't hold on to your pet verses and nice little phrases from some of your favorite authors, but you're reaching, you're reading, you're longing, you're studying, you're asking God to speak to you, you're praying, God, open my mind to this, open my heart to this, show me this, reveal yourself to me. So the markers of growth are these. You increase in discernment. It's here. It's in this last statement. For those who've trained themselves to do what? To distinguish between good and evil. I'm telling you, people should not know we're Christians because we have a symbol of a fish sticker on our bumper. They should know by our conversation, our demeanor, how we handle stress, how we deal with people. That should be the indicators that we're a follower of Jesus. Not a lapel pin, not a track that we hand them. It should be that we have a higher discernment between what's good and, and wrong, what's what's evil and what's righteous. I mean, he, he puts that. There's, there's an increased desire to yield yourself to the Holy Spirit because you realize that this is not something that you can make yourself grow. No more than I wanted to be taller in basketball than 5'11". So I told the Southeastern program that I was six foot, you know. When I stand on my toes, I'm kind of like six foot. Six foot just looked better than 5'11". No matter how much I wanted, I was 5'11". So you and I cannot make ourselves more mature spiritually. That happens when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us because we can't make it happen. We don't have the resources to be stronger in the Lord. What we have is this invitation by God to have communion with Him and to spend time with Him. Don't you love the words of Isaiah 55? My thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. That means we need Him. We need Him to span this great... Uh, vastness that's between us and speak into our lives and help us. It's remaining a student, always being a student. Everyone in this room ought to be a teacher. And really, everyone in this room is a teacher. From teaching your child how to tie shoelaces. Anytime you show someone how to do something, you're teaching and we ought to all be somewhere along the line spiritually where we can, we can do some teaching. But we only 
can do that if we always remain a student. You know you're growing in the Lord when you want to learn. When you want to learn more. Whether it's listening to podcasts or a sure sign that we're not growing is when we're stuck. We're just stuck in the same place. Rehearsing the same problems and the same weaknesses and the same cycle of despair. And God wants to get us out of that, doesn't he? The church should never lack for teachers. Not if we're doing our job. I'm telling you, the digital world is, is, can be a bad world, but the digital world is an incredible world of opportunity. Everything out there. My problem is that I get into something like Norm Geis, Geisler's uh, Encyclopedia of Apologetics, and I, and I can just stay for hours there. You know, or, or stay with Josh McDowell, or just read. But we need a good cross-pollinization uh, of our lives by different authors and by different voices. But we need them to press us. We need to be pressed to know God's Word. All of us need to be pressed to know God's Word, to, to say, Lord, I want to know your Word more. Not for the sake of debate, but for the sake of knowing Him and loving Him. And loving people and being able to tell people, you know, God is, God is not against you. <laughs> Look at the cross. Look at the cross. You know what the cross says? The cross says we were all broken. We were, we were all maimed. We, we were hopeless. And it only the only thing that could give us a remedy was for God himself to come through his son and to go to the cross for our brokenness so that we could be healed. Everybody needs help. No matter if it's the waitress waiting on you or whoever's around you, the cross is for them. And, and if we can just get a little bit of a boldness in our lives, we'll, I think we'll see more people find that and discover that. Amen. Let's stand together. Well, just reach over and take the hand of somebody standing next to you. And I want us just to pray for each other. What a privilege to pray for someone, isn't it? Pray that God would just stir us with a hunger for truth, a hunger for his knowledge. Lord, I do pray that our hearts be stirred tonight to know you, to know your truth, to know your word, and to understand it and to put it in place in our lives. And Lord, we want our attitudes to reflect your nature. We got plenty of our own nature working. We need your nature at work. We need your compassion. We need your temperament. We need your patience. We need your joy. We need your peace. Because sometimes we get turbulent. Sometimes we kind of get out of sorts when things don't go our way. And we don't like that feeling. So we stand before you saying, Lord, please help us. Help us. Help us by, help, by surrounding us with people who are speaking truth into our lives. 
who are partnering with us to see each of us mutually grow in you, Lord. I thank you for this family. I thank you for this community of faith. I thank you for every man and woman that's here because you have a purpose for each of us. You love us more than we could ever comprehend. May you help us just to grasp a little bit more of that truth so that we're not living with an inferiority complex, but we're living with a hope that we can change, that we can become different than the person we are because there's just some things about ourselves we don't like. And we need you to help us to evolve away from that into the person you want us to be. Lord, move in our lives and help us to become teachers as we are students. Always being a student and being ready to be a teacher. Always learning so that we can give what we've learned. And may our families and our homes be places where there's a fortress of truth being built in the lives of our this next generation to where they know and understand your truth and your word and they become the leaders of the, the years ahead that's well-grounded, that's rooted and can understand and explain scripture and have a good grasp of your word. Lord, I pray, I pray for our world. Our world is in such chaos and terror and all the stuff that's going on. Let us not be pulled into the despair of our days. Instead, let us look at our days as the opportunity to preach the gospel, to give the good news, to love the Muslim, to pray for Muslims, the ones that's right here in our own city, the ones who uh, are in the mosque every Friday. We pray, Lord, that you'll show up in their dreams and in their visions and in their sleep, Lord, that you will invade their lives with the truth because we dared pray for them genuinely and sincerely that they experience you, that they come face-to-face with you. Thank you for the miracles that you're doing in Muslim people's lives by invading their sleep with a revelation of who you are that transforms them. We pray for that. I pray for Russ and Sammy, Lord. I pray that these men will come face-to-face with you and the, the genuine you, who you are, so that they, the deceit that's in their lives can be peeled away from their minds and their eyes be open as, the, as Saul of Tarsus was and they see you for who you really are. We pray for them. We pray for revival in Muslim communities all over the world and that as they come to you, Lord, that they're strong in their faith in spite of the dangers and the threats of their own family, that they live it out and if need be, Lord, they're willing to lay down their lives for you. Help us to be willing to lay down our comfort for you and our conveniences for you so we can witness to them and share the gospel with them, Lord. Empower us with the Holy Spirit tonight. I pray that all of us will have a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit upon us, that as we go about this, the final days of this week, that you put people right in front of us that's for one purpose, and it's for us to tell them how much you love them and how much you want to be part of their lives and help them to know what you're all about and to come to grace and mercy and kindness and peace in their lives, that you transform them by them being born again. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen.